This is Good Together, the podcast that inspires you to create change in the world every day. I'm your host, Laura Alexander-Wittig, CEO and founder of Brightly, the number one destination for conscious consumers around the world. At Good Together, we value the planet over perfection and believe that you can make positive things happen for the planet every day by being a conscious consumer and an informed citizen. Listen in as I chat with various experts about living and consuming responsibly. together and brightly, we want to solve your problems with sustainable swaps that benefit your wallet and the planet. So let's start with your soggy, bacteria-ridden bath mat. For a limited time, head to brightly.eco slash shop and use code TERRASTONE to get 20% off Brightly's quick-drying, diatomaceous earth collection. Again, visit brightly.eco slash shop and use code T-E-R-R-A-S-T-O-N-E for 20% off for a limited time. Good Together listeners, I am so excited to have Adam Minter back on the podcast. And the reason why I'm so excited is because I feel like he is like the king of textile recycling and really understanding like where things go once you throw them in the bin. Um, And we had so um, many amazing things to talk about the last time he was on the podcast. We figured... Let's have him back. So welcome, Adam. So glad to be back. Yes. Um, And so for those who didn't get a chance to listen to our first conversation, I wonder if you can do just a really brief intro of yourself and your background. Sure. Well, my background is, I I always tell people I was born in a junkyard. I come from a third generation (laughs) scrap metal recycling family. We had a little junkyard in Minneapolis. So I learned recycling really at my father and my grandmother's knee, some of my earliest memories. My grandmother ran a thrift store. And so I grew up uh, around this. It's really in the blood, maybe literally. Um, (laughs) I ended up uh, not going into the business. I became a writer, a trade journalist writing about the recycling industry, the thrift industry and reuse. And uh, in the process, I became a Bloomberg columnist and I've written two books on the topic of recycling and reuse, Junkyard Planet and Secondhand. Well, I mean, it's like we talked about last time, your background is so unique. And I think um, just that you have, you know, obviously the experience growing up around it, but also understanding that um, people, when people throw things out, ultimately they think they're going to a place that they usually don't end up going. <laughs> it's usually some kind of happy path going on in our in our um, brains. But what is interesting is that there's just so many misconceptions in the space, right? Um, and so the reason why, um, you know, we wanted to have, have Adam back um, is because you know, when this episode goes live, spring cleaning is going to be a thing. And it is every year. I feel like people get so excited about starting fresh that they really neglect to at least understand where their their trash is going. I'm not saying that you need to not do a little bit of spring cleaning, but I think it's helpful for us all to understand where our trash goes so that we can be more mindful about creating waste. Um, and uh, you know, I've done it myself many times where I want to just pitch stuff out and, um, we, we, everybody does it right. (laughs) Right. And I'm really glad you're using the term mindful, um, because 
I think that gets to the crux of doing this sustainably. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's, you know, I think we all are under the impression that everything that we have is somehow valuable. And it's because we, we attach emotions and memories and nostalgia to it. But as somebody who's been around this for years, you know, I can tell you that it, we really require ourselves to be honest. And, and honesty means um, most realizing most of what we have, somebody else doesn't necessarily want. And it's the other side of the old aphorism, you know, one person's trash is another person's treasure. Most yeah. of what we have, in a sense, I don't want to call it trash. People may take it personally, but the truth is you can't sell it at a garage sale. You know, if you've ever held a garage sale, most of what you put out doesn't sell, you know, and the same goes yeah. for most thrift stores, you know, only about one third of the stuff goes off the shelves. And so, you know, the starting of this process really requires that kind of mindfulness, that kind of honesty with oneself. Yeah, absolutely. And I, the emotional piece that you touched on is so important and the value or like the perceived value that we place with things. I just think it's just, it's so well said because I mean, who has not, I mean, and this is funny too. I think it's also a little bit of personality quirks. Like I'm not really, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm an overly sentimental person and that really applies to um, items for me as well. So I don't, other than, you know, maybe a few childhood, uh, you know, mementos, I've never been overly attached to things, but my husband, oh my gosh, like both, I mean, and that runs in his, his family. I mean, his, we at one time had this like super awkward conversation with with my in-laws where they were like, here's a bunch of furniture we're going to list off. Like, where's it going in your house? And we just had to both be like, look at them, like say, yeah, sorry. Like we, we don't need or want that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's something, you know, I've spent a lot of time um, with and uh, reporting on clean out businesses. You know, there's a whole industry mm. in North America, in Europe, in Japan, where you, you hire people to help you basically downsize, you yeah. know, if you're moving into senior living or whatever it is. Exactly. And, and, and they will always tell their clients, especially in the U S your kids don't want it. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone who I've ever dealt with in this industry says, I have to give people that uh, piece of information. And there's always resistance say, oh, no, no, my, my son will want that curio cabinet. And, you know, he's 33 years old and he doesn't want curio cabinets. Exactly. You know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And that was really what we were running into. And the other thing that was interesting to me, thinking about that perceived value piece was, you know, it wasn't like this stuff was a family heirloom either. You know what right. I mean? It was like stuff that had been purchased in various ways throughout the years, but it wasn't like it was like the great grandmother's curio cabinet. It was just, you know, one perhaps that was bought at, you know, Marshall's or whatever back in the day. And so that's also what I thought was interesting. Um, obviously there are some, you know, family antiques and things that are a little bit different, but just because something is like, you know, a few decades old does not necessarily mean that it's right. worth much to right. your family members. And it's a burden. And I think that was like kind of what was hard for, I guess, my in-laws to accept when we were having this conversation was like, I mean, there's a lot of psychology behind it, right? Like impermanence and, you know, not being around forever. And I think there's just so many things that get wrapped up into it. But, right. um, you know, I kept trying to get across to them that it's like, just because we don't want this does not mean we don't care about you. It's just like, we, we don't have the space for it. We have a home that's um, a mid-century modern style home. So a lot of this, like 
kind of old, uh, you know, Victorian style, whatever type of furniture that you have is not going to really fit with us. And there's just all these nuances that go into why people may not want your things that are in your immediate bubble. But I think we're going to talk about how you can look to other people potentially to help um, yes. when you're mindfully decluttering, right? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. And I just want to add one thing to what you just said. You know, I, spending a lot of time around this, I think um, the the personal side of it, the sentimental side, the nostalgic side really comes down to the way we buy and value goods in this country. You know, it's gotten to the point where a lot of our identity is wrapped up in the stuff we have. You yeah. know, and this can be, um, you know, I buy this brand, which says this about me as a person. And when somebody rejects that, um, it is very personal. You know, yeah. uh, you know, as, 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 I, as I indicated before we started today, you know, I'm going through a clean out process right now. My father is moving to um, uh, senior living. Boy, he would really hate it that I use that term. But whatever you want to call it, uh, you know, he's moving there. And so we are going through this process. And he's, you know, he's keep asking me about, you know, various knickknacks, various antiques. Do I want them? Do I want them? And I can see there is this very personal side this look on his face when I say, no, I don't want that. Even though it's been very much a part of who he is, it's on his desk. It's something that people who came and visited him looked at it and, and admired and commented on. His children don't want it. What does that say about him? And, and that becomes a very, very personal process. And I always tell people when they go through this process with a relative, tread lightly. I mean, it's very easy to say, oh, it's just stuff. But yeah. for, especially for older relatives, it, it, although it doesn't have to be older relatives, it really is becomes very personal. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with that. It's and it, and again, it, you're right. It's you're trying to take that personal element out of it. And if you are somebody that's more like me, where you don't assign a lot of things, like meaning to specific mm -hmm. things it's hard for me to sometimes wrap my head around because yeah. I'm like, I, I don't understand why this is such a hard conversation. Um, but I see a little bit of that behavior now, like present with my husband. However, because he's seen <laughs> what his parents have done, he's able to be a little bit more mindful from that regard, which has been nice. Right. <laughs> he's able to be like, uh Oh, why am I thinking like this? Is it because of the way I was raised? Yes, probably. Let's let's rethink these things. You know, you know and, and that's and that's so interesting because I have found in, in reporting on this over the years, you will have people who are in their 30s and 40s who attach a lot of sentimental significance to objects. And then they go through a clean out with a parent or a grandparent or a friend mm -hmm. or a sibling. And all of a sudden they let go. Um, and it's, it's a remarkable experience. And the only experience that I think is akin to it is holding your own garage sale. And yep. I, I always recommend people do it because inevitably with your first garage sale, you overprice the stuff and yep. only 10% of it sells. And then, you know, Sunday morning, if it's a Saturday morning garage sale, you got to go into the garage and see that most people judge your stuff, not as treasure, but as sorry, yep. trash. They and do. And that changes the conversation entirely. Absolutely. Another, um, you know, if you, I'll, um, I'll add on to that. If you don't feel like having a massive garage sale, a, a smaller way to do this is to list something on Craigslist or Facebook Marketplace. Right. Yes. <laughs> because, yeah, yeah. Or, or browse it, right? Or maybe you browse it. My husband and I actually, we, we purchase a lot of things um, through both of those channels so that we get, you know, good quality used stuff. And we just laugh to each other sometimes when we go looking for something and it's something that's been used and it, somebody wants basically the same retail price. And it's just like, you know, 
there's a there's just they attach such a value to something that maybe isn't there. It, so I, I I totally agree with you on that front, right? <laughs> right, right, right. And and you know the thing is, I mean, uh, even if you're say somebody who flips stuff on Facebook or Craigslist all the time, you dead do you do end up with dead stock. You also end yes. up with this problem. I mean, there's there are all kinds of indicators out there to suggest that what we have. Um, doesn't at least have monetary value, and and that's where you start wanting to think about you know is 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 we've discussed donating mindfully, and and that's challenging too. Absolutely. So let's kind of go through. I mean, so first of all, just to give our give our um, listeners some statistics, like we like to. I mean, so um, we we've talked a little bit about the equation around the average amount of trash that somebody's generating. And, you know, it's about five pounds, um, you know, being generated by an American every day. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, you know, we, number one, the, the equation starts with, um, you know, consuming less. And the reason why is because as we go through the processes now to, you know, get rid of things, whether we're talking about throwing them away, donating, thrifting, et cetera, like, it's it's not a catch-all, and um, I would imagine if if you can visualize like a funnel with me, um, listeners, like you know at the very top of the funnel is all the trash and the, the things that need to be gotten rid of. As we talk about these other ways to throw things out, the, it gets smaller and smaller, right? Like it, it's not like oh well, let's just take everything that's being thrown away and donate it. I mean, it's it's really just not it's not sustainable from that perspective, right? So let's talk a little bit about the donation piece because I think. Um, that's like a really good speaking of like psychology and, and mental, um, you know, uh, work. I think a lot of us, when we, um, and I, I talked a little bit about this in a previous episode, um, with somebody who is a minimalist and we, we talked a lot about the psychology around, um, you know, there's shame, right? There's shame when you go to clean things out and you, you feel bad because, you know, maybe you, you, you feel like you could have done better or you, you feel like you've created too much waste. So there, there's like a lot of like negative thoughts there. And so oftentimes to make ourselves feel better, we think, oh, well, I'm not going to use this, but it's going to get donated. So that's great. And it's like kind of this happy path. And like you and I talked about in our last conversation, it's really not true, right? That's it's not going where people think it's going. No, not at all. Um, first of all, I think, you know, a lot of people, when they donate, they their identity, mm -hmm. that that identity piece that we just held on yes. to is still part of that. They They want if they can't sell it, if they can't give it away, they still want to think that somebody somewhere is going to find good use out of grandma's plates, you know, that they don't want. Um, that's, you know, that's a different kind of wish cycling, which is a term yeah. I'm sure you've, you've covered. Um, Absolutely. And, and that's not the case. First of all, the number of charities that are out there um, that will actually uh, give stuff to people in need um, directly is quite small. And, and there's yeah. um, a couple of reasons for that, but the biggest reason is is that's very very expensive to do um, to find a donor who has stuff that somebody specifically wants. I know of some very interesting furniture charities, and it works because furniture is very expensive. But things like apparel, uh, things like dishes, all that stuff that you sometimes see people say, "Well, somebody." poor, and, and I use that term very reluctantly, but I think we all know what I'm talking about because that's, yeah. so we're going to give it to Quote, unquote, poor. less fortunate than me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. are going to want it, and it's a very, very difficult thing to, to connect those. So what mostly happens with your donations, whether it be a Goodwill or a Salvation Army or any of the other, you know, thrift chains that we know of, 
is that they, the, and I'm going to talk about nonprofit ones, for-profit ones are a different story, but the nonprofit ones, which take up most of the thrift industry in, in Europe and North America, they sell the stuff and use it for other good works. So, um, and, and you have to be okay with those good works is not everybody's going to always agree, say with a religious charity. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I think Goodwill is very interesting because their, their mission as they call it is to get people employed. They offer all kinds of job training programs. Um, and they, and they, I think they, I, I'm not a spokesperson for Goodwill, but I think in general, they do a pretty good job of getting people trained, but that's what happens with your stuff. They sell it. Um, the question I sometimes get is, well, if they're selling it, why shouldn't I sell it? And it's a little bit like, well, you know, if Target is selling toothpaste, why shouldn't I? It's, you know, they have a, a greater customer base. They have an increasing e-commerce um, business and mm -hmm. they could just reach more people. And the more people you reach, the better chance there is of that unwanted thing. Maybe luckily, hopefully, hit, you know, connecting with somebody and it gets purchased and reused. Um, that's why you give to them. They can do it better than you can. But yep. it's hard because still, you know, your average U.S. thrift store, only about one third of the stuff is actually sold off the retail shelves. So that tells you there's a lot that's not selling off those shelves. Okay, germaphobes, listen up. I don't want to freak you out, but your bath mat is likely loaded with bacteria. It stays damp for hours on end, and it gives microorganisms the perfect environment to grow in. I'm literally grimacing as I tell you this, but an eco-solution that I personally designed myself for you at Brightly is called our Terra Stone Bath Mat. So it dries right before your eyes because it's made of super absorbent material called diatomaceous earth. To give you the TLDR, diatomaceous earth is a naturally occurring material that has almost magical powers in its absorption, holding nearly 150% of its own weight in liquid. That means that not only are you never going to have to step on a soggy, gross bath mat again, but it also helps ensure your bathroom stays dry and clean. Right now at Brightly.eco, you can get our Terra Stone bath mat, and actually all of our Terra Stone products, for 20% off when you use your code TerraStone at checkout. So head to brightly.eco slash shop and use code T-E-R-R-A-S-T-O-N-E for a limited time to receive 20% off. Absolutely. Um, you know, and I think there's so many efficiencies um, to that need to happen in the supply chains and, you know, overall within, with, um, you know, large corporations and, mm -hmm. um, you know, stores. But I think the point that you're making around, you know, the the path that people think these things go on is just really it's it's not it's not going to somebody who's going to wear it most of the time, right? Like it's it's not going to be reused most of the time. It is going to go to a landfill eventually, um, and mm -hmm. oftentimes it's going overseas or or places like that. So I do think that actually one um, you know thing for people to take away is it's not terrible to donate, but be mindful of what you're donating, which is what you just mentioned, right? Like the furniture, the bigger items, um, and thinking of other ways to get rid of things like textile waste. Um, so we've talked a little bit about the donation piece. Um, what about items that could quote unquote be recycled, which gosh, are there any, I'm like, can, can we th really think of some products that somebody would find in their home 
that they could just chuck into recycling bin. I, I mean, <laughs> no, that seems pretty, no. I don't think so. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. you know, generally when people think about, um, stuff like if I, I use the term stuff the technical yeah. term for stuff is actually durable goods like it's stuff that you use more than once that's the official term in all the economic statistics and there's a lot of it i mean uh, the figure i love is between 1967 and 2015 2017 durable goods sales increased almost 20 fold in the u.s wow so there's a lot of it the thing is with a durable good though it's usually made of many types of materials and recyclers want to recycle things that are made of one type of material. Yep. You know what I mean? That's what that's where things get tricky. Um, the good news is, is that there are sort of recycling bins for some of those durable goods. Um, uh, electronics, your phones, your laptops. A lot of local governments now have drop-offs for unwanted electronics. Um, and then they work with, you know, legitimate electronics recyclers um, to, to make sure that stuff is handled correctly. And, um, you know, I, I know in the county uh, where my dad lives, because I was just dealing with this, um, you know, you can drop those old devices off. He has the, uh, he has the, the kitchen drawer filled with chargers and old phones, I think, like, like a lot of your listeners do. Um, yeah. You know, there are increasingly county drop-offs where that stuff can go. Um, and, and it's all kinds of electronics um, it, you wouldn't expect. Um, I'll, I'll actually drop them because I just uh, did an interview with somebody and you might want to cut this, but uh, there's, there's increasing demand for recycling of sex toys, believe it oh, or not. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and they can go to a lot of these electronics drop-offs because uh, they're basically made of, of the same kinds of stuff that phones are made of. But, Interesting. Uh, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. So I just spoke to somebody who did an article on that. I don't know if you necessarily want to talk about that, but I'll throw it out there because it just popped into my head. Yeah. No. I mean, it's 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 fascinating. I mean, it's 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 something that's made from plastics most of the time <laughs> with a motor in it. You know. Yeah, so it's like yeah. it's it's going it's going to need to be recycled. Um, yeah. So there is that increasing capacity to do that stuff, and and I think that's something to be really excited about because for so long people were very cynical and oftentimes rightly so that their electronics were you know being recycled incorrectly. Um, you know, there's all kinds of different definitions of correct, but I think most people now can feel pretty good about where their electronics are going and how they're being managed. But it does mean making that extra effort. You're not going to have a bin for old phones in your home. You're going to have to go and seek out that option at your, you know, local city, town, county, um, recycling site. Absolutely. And you're right. I mean, it, it all of this comes down to mental capacity, right? Like you're already, we're busy people. We're already setting mm -hmm. aside time to do this decluttering, this spring cleaning. And now you're saying, okay, some of the stuff I can donate, some of it I can't, some of it I can recycle, most of it I can't, but the stuff that I can, I need to find a special bin, right? right. And so that's where you start to get to like, what is realistic for you but also what is realistic for the average person? Because I, just in general, I can tell you right now, people go with what is the easiest and fastest thing to do. And unfortunately, most of the time that ends up, um, you know, going into landfill, whether somebody is like directly doing it or they are, you know, wish cycling, which, you know, we talked about that, but right. in case you're not familiar with that term listeners, it's, you know, obviously people uh, putting things into recycling bins when they know they shouldn't be there. And actually like 
one in four items they get recycled can't actually be recycled. So that's a lot. Um, and, you know, that puts strains on already, I think, at capacity recycling systems in cities. Um, so it just ends up being um, a situation where we quickly end up with a lot of stuff and not a, a lot of places for it to go. Um, but in terms of an, um, a solution I can give to listeners, and if, if you heard the podcast before, you know I'm a huge fan of the solution because it does work sometimes. It's not like uh, like a, a magical solution that's for everything, but I love to recommend buy nothing groups um, because it's it's something where it's like it's I like to call it like peer to peer transferring of goods for free, right? It's 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 you put out something and you say, look, I have this extra, um, I'm in my recording studio, I'm looking at like a little trash can. What if I had two of those little trash cans um, and it, it still works really well? And so that's number one. The thing has to work still. You know, it's usually very few people are going to take something that's broken <laughs> or stained or whatever. So is it in generally good condition? Sure. Then I'm going to put up a post in my buy nothing group and say, hey, um, I got a two pack of trash cans at Costco because they do this sometimes. Which mm -hmm. is um, yeah. So would anybody like to claim this? And um, most of the time these buy nothing groups are handled on Facebook, but they have them on, uh, they do have their own app now and people can in your neighborhood and they're really hyper local. Like um, I accidentally joined the wrong one when I first got into buy nothing because anyway, <laughs> so they're really close by your neighbors are super close by and your neighbor, your neighbors can look at that group and say, Oh, I was actually just to, about to go out and buy a trash can. Now I'm going to take that one from you. And you've then just prevented like a brand new item to, from going into circulation as it were. Um, and so I just think that's like, it's such an awesome way to, I mean, I see, I don't even know if it's technically allowed. I see people giving away like food sometimes, which I'm like, oh gosh, I don't know about that. But I mean, people do, they, they, they think, oh, I have an excess of something. And I believe that it has worth. And you, well, like we talked about earlier, you can sometimes tell when people go to give away things that they think will be claimed and they're not claimed. We talked about right. that, but yeah. you know, it, it ends up being an interesting uh, way to get to know your neighbors. And yeah. I, I love, I love buy nothing. I I've belonged to it in two countries. I, we were uh, early members of the buy nothing group in Fataling Jaya, Malaysia. Um, and you know, it's remarkable what gets moved around. And then, uh, uh, during COVID, we became members of the Buy, Buy Nothing group in Minnesota. What I, what I find really exciting about Buy Nothing is not only the fact that it circulates stuff um, and it does it on a better scale than could happen if it's just to people you know, because once it's online, there's so many more customers to use probably an incorrect term, but, but you get what I mean. But the other thing I think it does, just talking to people who have used it, is it does make people more mindful about their consumption because they start thinking about what they're buying and whether this is something that at some point they can put on a buy nothing group and give away, or is it a disposable product that's never going to have a second owner and is, is going to end up in the trash and in an incinerator or a uh, landfill somewhere. So I think, you know, it, it instills sort of healthy consumption habits, if you will, um, maybe somewhat unconsciously, but, but I think it's, it's undeniable that it does when you're, when you're, when you're engaging with people who are interested in secondhand, that you'll start thinking in terms of your primary buys stuff that's more durable. Absolutely. And, you know, just just building on what you just mentioned, I think we, we've talked so much about being mindful. Um, and I think 
as you start to discover these types of things, it becomes, I will give you some, some hope listeners, it becomes easier to reconcile all of the emotions. It becomes easier to say, you know what? I don't need to buy that two pack of trash cans. I'm going to go look on buy nothing first. Or um, actually, I think I am, instead of tossing um, a bunch of these old t-shirts in um, you know, the, the goodwill bin, I'm going to repurpose them as rags. Although it sounds daunting, it's not just cut them up. <laughs> right. Um, but it becomes right. easier. Um, and I, and so that, I, I believe you, you'd agree with that, right? It does. And, and I think it gets easier just um, from the point of view of, of doing it from, uh, you know, the fact that it's sort of become, um, unfortunately, a cycle that, you know, anybody who lives in a consumer economy goes through. Everybody has too much stuff. And I think, in a sense, it makes us less um, sentimental, less nostalgic, less fixation on that stuff. Um, and I think in our own lives, we become more mindful of what's important to us and what's not and what we want to do. Absolutely. I mean, I couldn't say it any better. better. And I feel like, in addition to obviously cutting back on our expenditures or just like the acquisition of new things. We also, of course, we always like to mention like repair items if you can. And actually buy nothing. Um, I've seen has, has been nice for people to either ask for help in repairing or oftentimes I've seen where people will say, Hey, you know what? This is a little bit out of my skill set to repair. Um, would anybody else like it? You know what I mean? Just to kind yes. of keep it around. Right. Yeah, I think that's another really exciting, you know, uh, off throw off of the uh, of the buy nothing uh, movement is that um, it is encouraging people to think about repairing stuff and and you can't have a more sustainable economy, a more sustainable consumer without people who are willing, um, you know, to mend uh, clothing, to fix. Well, never mind fixing a phone, replace a battery in a phone. All this is part of it. And, and that's one of the great things about buy nothing is, is just the kind of interaction you're talking about. Absolutely. And as you were talking about that, I just quickly Googled because I'm curious to know what the state of things is. So, um, you know, I, we've talked a little bit on the podcast about the right to repair um, and certain uh, legislation that is trying to get passed across the country, both from a national and a state perspective, where, you know, uh, our lawmakers are saying, look, they're coming back to the you know manufacturers of items and saying, look, we are going to require you to, you know, make items in ways that make it easier for them to be repaired. Uh, and also, you know, like provide some assistance from that perspective. And actually quick Google, a quick Google search tells me that it's not going great because um, the corporations don't like that. Um, they, you know, they don't like to be told what to do. And they, of course, they make more money when you buy new things. But it does look like um, it is seeing some success in different industries like farming, for instance. Yeah. Just interesting. Yeah. You know, um, the first statewide right to repair bill passed in New York, I believe it was at the end of December. It was very watered down. Um, you had a, a lot of electric... But it passed, you know? Yeah, at and least it passed, right? It passed. <laughs> and, you know, there's every journey starts with a step, you know? And that was the first step. And you are also seeing manufacturers of things like phones um, respond to this movement. They're nervous. They don't want legislation to tell them what to do. And so they're starting to make available more parts and more manuals. And even though I think, I don't think it's controversial to say that most people 
are not going to want to fix the screen of their phone or even replace the battery. What making those parts available does is it makes it possible for, you know, small repair kiosks to open up in the local shopping mall or, you know, in a strip mall where there's some space. And suddenly there's more repair options. And suddenly when you have more repair options, you have somebody who can compete with, you know, uh, the Genius Bar at the Apple store, uh, you know, maybe offer a, a lower price on that battery replacement or anybody else. It makes it um, cheaper, it makes it more affordable, and, and it makes it more common. And as we all know, as something becomes more common, you know, it sort of gets their, its own momentum, especially in the consumer economy. And, and hopefully people adopt more of a repair mindset. You know, phones are interesting just because they're so expensive now. And I don't know many people who, who want to buy anything for over $1,000 without knowing that it can be at least simple repairs can be done by, on it uh, by a local repair shop. So, so I think it's a really positive um, step. And again, it, it all fits into the secondhand economy. Absolutely. <clears throat> well, I know you and I could talk about this forever, and we have. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but it, it's been so nice to, to chat with you again, Adam. Um, I wonder, we've asked you kind of our general guest question last time. So I wonder if you had any sort of like parting thoughts you'd like to share um, with our audience, whether it's related to you know, throwing items away or maybe just being kind of sustainable in general? Well, for me, I, I you know, I've had quite the journey and in, in one of the end of the secondhand world. And one of the things that keeps coming up when people um, send me emails, uh, readers send me emails, is they keep telling me how in their parents' basement is three generations of fine china. You know, the great grandparents yes. fine china, the grandparents fine china, and then their parents wedding china. And yeah. and they say, you know, we really don't need any more china. No, and, we don't. You know, we don't. And my and so, mom actually, wait, wait, let me tell you something. I'm from yeah. the South and yeah. my mom and my grandma were like aghast when I said I am not registering for China. Like they could not believe it. And I was like, I do not need China. Number one, I'm not going to use it and I don't need a new set of China. And what we ended up doing was um, to placate them. I bought a use a, like a brand new set on Craigslist for like nothing because right. nobody uses China. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And so, I mean, in a in a very specific sense, I would tell people don't register for China anymore. Um, but the follow-up to that is if you want it, if you want it, you can go to any thrift store and find entire sets of extremely good uh, China, someone's great-grandmother's China or grandmother's China uh, that cost a lot of money at one time. It's available there. And my, yep. my wider point is, you know, with as much stuff has been manufactured and sold over the last 50 years, there's almost certainly a secondhand option for almost anything you want, yes. um, you know, for your home. I, I encourage people to go and look at that stuff. And it's it's in many cases, it's more durable. Um, even though you may not know the provenance of it, it's kind of fun knowing that it's it's had a, a life yeah. before it, it's <laughs> with you. and. And and I think it's just a really interesting way to to connect to sort of consumer history as well and, and be sustainable about it in that way, too. I mean, there's so much talk about uh, donating and we've talked a lot about donating, but but ultimately, I do think it comes down to consuming differently. And and that's a yep. really good way to consume differently. And, and if you're buying secondhand, you're probably buying more durable stuff than what you could get um at all these days, or you would be paying a lot more for it. Absolutely. And you know, the other thing too, is people oftentimes, I feel like get very addicted to hunting for deals online and like yeah. 
you know, you can compare things with a click of a button, but what's more fun than like trying to go hunt down like a specific vintage dresser or something like that, like locally. Um, and actually my, um, one of my good friends, they have this beautiful set. And speaking of China, I mean, we can apply this to all dinnerware and well, exactly. You know what I mean? Anything. Um, and they, um, my, my good friends have this beautiful set of, um, like ceramic stone, uh, you know, dinnerware that was their mother's. Um, and it's, it's beautiful. And it, it, I I mentioned we have a mid-century modern home. It really reminds me of that. And so, um, I saw that and I was like, oh my gosh, like we actually need, um, a new set of dinnerware and I didn't want to buy anything new. And so, you know, what did I do? I like literally hunted locally for a long time to see if I could find it. And then when I couldn't find it locally, I ended up connecting with somebody a few States over who had a big set because their mother had passed away. There you go. Um, and I had them ship it to me. Now it was relatively expensive to have it shipped to me and some things did get broken in, in the, in the way, but we, when I tell you those are the most durable plates. Yes, yes. And I mean, they have had so many things happen to them. They still look beautiful. And like, I think the whole style of the plate, because it's ceramic where like, it's supposed to look a little bit worn. And so anyway, I've just, it was one of those situations where if I had not seen a good alternative, I might've gone to buy new. And so I guess that's one more call to action we can give you listeners is if, if you are into buying things secondhand, like you know, give them some love on social media and stuff like inspire people. Yeah. Because <clears throat> like I said, if I hadn't been inspired by my friend, I wouldn't have even known. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. <laughs> well, it was so wonderful to talk with you, Adam. Um, I really appreciated you, you coming on and joining us. Thanks so much for having me on. joining us on another episode of Good Together. To get show notes and more, head to brightly.eco slash podcast. Finally, don't forget to join in on the conversation with us on social, where I know you can find us at brightly.eco. Don't forget, we're all on this journey together. So have fun putting the planet first and stay curious.